0: The kids are enjoying a back-to-school bash celebration this morning, and how many parents are relieved that the kids are going back to school? (laughs) I remember those days well, no doubt. Well, we all love to learn, don't we? Back in those days, we were forced to learn, we had to... Read certain textbooks that wouldn't be our first choice, but now we get to read for pleasure in our extra time. So I'm curious, what do you like to read for pleasure? I'm going to name off a couple different topics here, and you can raise your hand on every one if you'd like, but what do you like to read for pleasure? For example, how many of you like to read the news for pleasure? Raise your hand out there. Okay. Like to read the news. How many you like to read sports for pleasure? Alright, any ladies out there? Uh, I don't see anybody. <laughs> How many like to read novels for pleasure? Novels for pleasure. Alright? Very good. How many like to read history for pleasure? Very good. How many like to read about the Chicago Cubs for pleasure? Uh, all right, there we go. <laughs> well, there's nothing like uh, coming home and finding that your favorite magazine has arrived or a book that you ordered from Amazon or CBD, and you just can't wait. You find the time to open that up and read it and enjoy whatever your favorite magazine or book Might be. You find pleasure in it. In fact, another word for pleasure that's found in Scripture is delight. Let's look at Psalm 1 2. It reads here But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. His delight, his pleasure is in reading meditating, digesting Scripture. A lot of Christians can feel guilty because they think, well, I'm much more excited about reading the sports page or Facebook than I am about reading God's Word. But I don't think you should feel guilty because that's a different type of reading. That's an easy breezy type of reading. When we read God's Word, it's something you have to fully engage your mind, and spirit in. So what I think it means delight, it means that you have such an incredible appreciation for the Bible that you look forward to the times when you have that time to set aside to really put your mind in gear and let let, let the Lord speak to you. A deep appreciation and a great love for God's Word. That's delighting in Scripture. That's what we want to talk about this morning. Our today's takeaway, when you walk out the door, I hope you understand this, meditation on Scripture brings spiritual prosperity. Meditation on Scripture brings spiritual prosperity. Spending time in God's Word brings good things to life. Spiritually. And we're going to explore Psalm 1 as we continue in our series, Cries of the Heart. a study of psalms that we've done in July and August. I have one message left in this series next week. Let's look at Psalm chapter 1. Psalm chapter 1. You think about well-known psalms, Psalm 23, no doubt. That's way off the charts. I'd say the second psalm that is the most well-known is Psalm 1 because it's such a beautiful description of our relationship with Scripture. We read there, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. So what's that word blessed mean? Well, let's jump ahead to Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus Christ used the word blessed. Over and over again. In verse 6, he says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed means happy. Happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And when I think about this word blessed, I think this happiness leads not to fleeting pleasures, but leads to a deep, Satisfaction. So when we hunger and thirst for righteousness, when we hunger and thirst to live as God would desire, when we hunger and thirst to know His Word in order that we might know His will for our life, that leads to a deep satisfaction. So happy, satisfied is one who hungers and thirsts for righteousness. We go back to Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the council of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. These are negative things. It's not what a blessed man should do. This is what he shouldn't do. He shouldn't walk, stand, or sit. There's a progression here. It's kind of like if you're wandering through a downtown area. And all of a sudden you hear this band, this music, moving through the air. And it catches your attention. And so you you walk by where this band is playing. And and you really like the music. And so you stand there for a while and say, ah, this is really good. And you decide to sit down. To sit down. I might as well spend some time here. I, I really didn't expect this, but I enjoy it. Well, the same type of pattern, progression can be seen in how we can be drawn into sin by other people. We can walk with other people, and then we can stand with them and talk, and then we can actually sit and become involved in the sin that they're encouraging us to do. Well, who are these people? Well, they call them wicked. They call them sinners. They call them scoffers. Now, when we think of wicked people, we might think of hardened criminals doing time. But in this context, it's referring to people Who are non-believers. We once were wicked. We were sinful before we came to Christ. And I think it even speaks a little more of sinners who have not been saved by grace. Sinners who want to influence other people to sin. That's the idea here. Sinners who want to bring other people along in to their sin. We think of Lance Armstrong. A picture of him here. He's had a really bad week. Lance Armstrong, of course, we've known over the years as an incredible athlete, winning seven Tour de France, at the same time battling cancer and having victory over that, and then setting up Live Strong, a foundation for cancer victims. Many reasons to respect this man. But in the last several years, there's been questions about doping and there have been a lot of people that have come up and now a formal case. We don't know the truth, obviously. There's a lot of people who say certain things. But let's say theoretically that he is guilty. That he's guilty of doping and doing other things to enhance his performance as well as influencing others, encouraging his team to do the same thing. Well, that would be an illustration of what we see here. Of someone that you are with, someone that you're spending time with, you're working together, whatever, and they are sinning and they're encouraging you to sin. Now many of maybe many of you maybe when you were younger were influenced by your peer group to abuse alcohol, abuse drugs, maybe stealing, those type of things. So, so we, we've got to be careful about the crowd we hang around as, as parents of teenagers. Uh, that's something you're always concerned about, is who are their friends? Because we know that friends influence our kids. Well, in the same way, of course, our friends influence us. Sometimes we can be in the wrong crowd and they don't seem that bad as people But they're influencing us in the wrong way, whether they be Christians or non-Christians. And if you're part of a a crowd that continues to have a pattern of gossip, where a lot of the conversation surrounds tearing down other people, whether it be a friend or a group of friends, that's really a, a group you shouldn't be a part of because they're leading you into sin. You're choosing to do it, but they're influencing you in that direction. Or possibly you have a group of friends that, when they get together, they just do not speak in the most godly way. A lot of off-color humor, a lot of language, a lot of topics that just aren't right to talk about in the way they are. Well, sometimes people think, well, I'm the godly one, so I'm going to bring the group up, right? They're going to rise to my maturity. But we know that typically we are pulled down to the level Of that group's maturity. Sometimes you are part of a group that all they do is talk about material things, what they are going to wear, what type of house they have. uh, This all about buying stuff, and and the value that you pick up from that group that, in order to have uh, good feelings about yourself, you have to have a lot of stuff. Well, that's not a good group. You see, the people that you hang with transmit values. And you think you might be strong, but if you hang with people for a long time, spend time with them, they're going to transmit their values to you. And that's why it's so important that we choose our friends carefully. Now it's important we have relationships with non believers, but it's even more important that our primary friendships be with committed Christ followers. Some Christ followers, <laughs> because they're not walking with God, can be worse <laughs> than people who don't know Jesus, right? So you want to pick somebody who's walking with God and who can give you counsel and advice and live a life that will transmit the right type of values into your life. And that's why we talk about small groups so often here in our ministry. Again, they're, they're not a magical type of thing that you're going to find your long-lost friends in a small group, but it's a step in the right direction of hanging around with people who are talking about Scripture. That's why we talk about volunteering. The more time that you can spend with Christians, you get those values transmitted, and, and God will eventually bring along a, a person who you can really connect with, you have chemistry with, and, and you can walk together and have a spiritual friend where you can talk about Christ-centered topics. Now, that's friends and how they influence you, but in our day opposed to that day, I think media is just as powerful a force in our life in terms of transmitting values. For example, how many have heard of the book Fifty Shades of Grey? you heard of that book, Fifty Shades of Grey? Yeah, it's a New York Times bestseller, women especially, uh, reading it like wildfire, but Some of you might not know this, but that book is literary porn, literary porn. Let's read this from uh, Walt Mueller, who is a Christian expert on the media. He says, research shows that on any given Sunday, our church pews and evangelical churches hold people who struggle with pornography. That research says that 50 percent of the men and 20 percent of the women in those pews are addicted to pornography My friends at Harvest USA define pornography. Listen to this closely. as anything the heart uses to find sexual expression outside of God's intended design for relational intimacy. It's anything that tempts and corrupts the human heart and the desiring sensual pleasure in sinful ways. In general, men are drawn to visual pornography. And in general, women are engaging with literary pornography. Fifty Shades of Grey seems to fit the bill. I never thought about this before, this idea of literary pornography. But as I reflect upon it, obviously you've always had very racy novels. And they've been very popular, especially young women, because women are the ones who tend to be Uh, The readers and this type of book is literary pornography there's a lot of perversions in this book as I looked into it a lot of sexual perversions not a a very unhealthy book so if you have read this particular book uh, and you have not realized the problem you need to go to before God and confess uh, your sin and throw that book in the trash also, if you run across other Christ followers who are reading that book, you might ask the Lord for an opportunity just to gently remind them that that is not good reading, that sinful reading, in fact. And then you need to pray for the courage that when you're in a group of people who might be talking about this particular book, that you have the courage to stand up and say, you know what, that's literary. That's literary pornography it's interesting how we women sometimes complain about men and their pornography but this is just as bad really interesting way to think about it but it's true so we need to be careful with media sometimes we we really get into trouble in this area because oh it's not that bad just the way the world is so I'm gonna go along with it let me give you another illustration this is a picture Uh, Vic McKay, Mike Chiklis, who was the star of The Shield, which was on FX for seven years. And it's interesting uh, what a secular person says about this. We read here John Furrier on The Shield. John Furrier, Jr., a TV professor at the University of Southern California, isn't so sure that these new flawed heroes are good for us. He's talking about a protagonist, the main character, who is really bad and corrupt, but we're kind of rooting for him in terms of how the writers put the story together. Speaking of the brutal and corrupt lead character on The Shield, Fear recently told the Chicago Tribune, we say, well, he did a bad thing, a corrupt thing, an evil thing, a cruel thing, but on the other hand, he loves his autistic son and devotes himself to him diligently. This, that is a very human thing, but I think it tends to push us as an audience to not only forgive the errant ways of these characters, but to consider the things that they do when they're behaving badly to be okay. I would decry that. See how subtle that is? Oh, it's a good show we're talking about. I love that show. Well, it's transmitting a value. It's desensitizing us to sin. It's not that big a deal. So we need to be so careful in terms of who we're listening to, where we're gathering our counsel from. And this, of course, is the main book we need to turn to and turn to God in prayer and, of course, other Christ followers. Well, we move on to Psalm 1, 2. It says, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So if you're going to to delight in God's Word, you need to meditate on it. Day and night. That word meditate, the root also gives us the word rumination. What cows do in chewing the cud. Let's take a look at some of our friends here. Munching away. This particular cow is a little more serious about his lunch. (laughs) Let me remind you of how it all works. So you have the cow and they take some straw or hay and they chew it just to moisten it, just to get it wet. And then it goes into their stomach. And their stomach is like 50 to 60 gallons. I don't know if you've ever seen it on TV where they show this. But you see the hay floating around and this stuff and enzymes. And what happens is it sits down there for a while and then it turns into what we call cud. And then the cow regurgitates it and chews on it and breaks it down in that way. And so the mouth is really Kind of in the middle of the digestion process. And thank God he didn't put us uh, together that way. (laughs) So he's chewing away at this cut. He chews it maybe 40 to 60 times before it goes back in the stomach and goes through the rest of the digestive process. Now that you understand that, you can appreciate cow humor in this next cartoon. Chewing cut, Stephen? Well, I hope you brought enough for the whole class. <laughs> well, friends, we need to chew on Scripture. Meditation. People say, well, I don't know how to do meditation. I always say, well, do you know how to worry? We all know how to worry, right? You take a particular problem and you want a solution, and so you look at it from every particular angle and you analyze it. Well, that's what meditation is. You already have the skill. You just need new material. (laughs) So you take a, a verse of Scripture and you think about it. And you let the Holy Spirit speak to you and say, how does this apply to my life? What do I learn about God? And you look at it over and over and over again, day and night. How do we do that day and night? Well, here are some different things that you can do. First of all, daily offices. We'll talk about that in a moment. But put verses on a note card in your pocket. So if you find a passage that really speaks to you, write the verse out on a note card or print it out and cut it up. Put it in your pocket, in your purse, and then bring it out on a regular basis. When you're sitting at a stoplight or you're at the store, just pull out that note card and think about that particular verse. Verses posted where you can see them. You might take a particular verse and make multiple copies on a computer and then take that same verse and put it on your dashboard, put it on your your mirror at home, put it on your desk, wherever you spend a lot of time. Put that same verse. You can put verses on your smartphone. I've talked before about Memlock.com. It costs about $15. It's a wonderful Bible memory program and has remotivated me to memorize scripture. In fact, I was thinking, if you really want to get aggressive about this, what you want to do is you want to memorize one verse a week. One verse a week. Now we we give you one a month, but you want to step it up here. One verse a week. So what you do is you print out this particular verse or verses. And you post that particular verse everywhere for that particular week. Then you spend one of your daily offices or maybe several daily offices thinking about this particular verse. And then you're meditating upon it as you see it as you go throughout the day. At the same time, you're memorizing it. I know a lot of you struggle with memorization. But I believe if you spend a whole week, there's a pretty good chance you can memorize whatever you can handle. Maybe it's half a verse. I'm not sure. But again... You do that, and then you go to the next week, and you pick another verse. I I just guarantee you, friends, if you do that for a year, you'll have 52 verses under your belt. Because like with a Memlock program, it gives you a review system where you just keep going back, going back. And that's what you need to do. You need to constantly review them. a great way to meditate on God's Word day and night. Of course, you have the Bible on your iPod, Christian radio, Christian broadcast, all different ways we can... Meditate on God's Word day and night. Well, let's look at Jeremiah twenty nine thirteen. It says there, You will seek Me and find Me when you seek Me with all your heart. I want to let you know that it is uh, not easy to really understand deep spiritual truth. God wants us to work at it. It's not something that's just there like candy and we pick out up and we, we run with it. You've got to work at discovering God's truth in his word how many have lost your keys in the last month and found them again <laughs> well, that happens right but it's not like in the old days when you lost a key and you go to his hardware and get another copy for like five dollars i mean you lost a key you got a chip in that key that's a hundred dollar key that's missing so you're going to spend a lot of time looking for that like i recently did <laughs> you know uh, because I had to go Ace Hardware because they're a little cheaper than a dealership. And it cost me $80. I'm thinking, what's wrong with this world? Nobody's going to steal my car in the first place. <laughs> well, all that to say is that's the way you need to go after Scripture. You need to seek Him out. And that's why we gave you a memory verse on a monthly basis to help you in meditating on God's Word. We see here the August memory verse. Let's say it together. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. That says a lot about what we're talking about today. Now, let me talk briefly here about daily offices. Uh, Somebody asked me recently, what uh, is the difference between a daily office and a quiet time? Now, a daily office goes back to the early church where they would have daily daily offices, especially in monasteries. And it's more than once a day. That's the idea. That's the big difference between a daily office and a quiet time or devotions is that you, it's an office that you do repeatedly throughout the day. I mean, the Jews pray three times a day. Muslims pray five times a day. The problem is that many times that becomes ritualistic. But if you, if you do a daily office in the right way, like in the morning, you have a longer daily office. And at noon, you have you know, shorter, maybe five minutes, whatever. The idea is that you're checking in with God. And the more you check in with God, the more you'll be aware of his presence. So here are some of the differences. Uh, Twice a day or more versus once a day. I say five to 20 minutes just to give people an idea. Experiencing God, that's that's more of a focus of the daily office versus information about God. Sometimes when we're in a quiet time mode, we just want information. But the daily office is experiencing God in silence and reflection versus activity now you can use whatever title you want the reason i use the word daily office is because it's more than twice a day or it's twice a day or more as well as it just gives a different feel to what we're desiring to do and uh, lead you to do as well as i want to practice in my own life now let's look at a a typical daily office Uh, first of all silence remember we practice this in the fall, when we're going through emotional, healthy, spirituality, so you want to have a centering phrase uh, for two minutes. Now, most people uh, become uncomfortable with silence in 15 seconds. <laughs> okay, so being silent for two minutes, that's a long time. But the whole idea of silence is to slow the train down. <laughs> I know my mind is racing. So when I come into God's presence, I can jump right into reading His Word, or I can just take some time. Two minutes, a minute, whatever. But I, I slow down and, and I focus on my breathing. It's not like Eastern meditation. You don't empty yourself, but you fill yourself with God. And so you, you pick a centering phrase to kind of slow down. Uh, and you might just want to say, slow me down, Lord. Just say that yourself silently. Slow me down. Slow me down. And at first it's going to be very, very difficult because your mind is going to be bombarded with everything. That's what happens when you try to slow your mind down. But you need to continue to practice that over and over and over again. And then eventually you move into listening uh, to God. So you start with two minutes of this type of orientation. Then you have a scripture meditation, uh, our daily bread. We always recommend it as a default if you don't have anything else. And then you have silence as you move out. Now you can do anything you want, any way you want. But at the same time, uh, this is a a way that you can follow that might be helpful uh, to you. Now, another thing that we've talked about in terms of that Scripture meditation is the SOAP orientation to Scripture meditation. So what you do is you look at a Scripture, you observe it, you learn from it, and then you apply it to your life, and you pray. Now, today, I want to teach you a new way of meditation. And this is the paraphrase of meditation. This is from Rick Warren's materials. He's got an excellent book on Bible study. But when you're doing your daily office, what you do is you read a particular passage several times. Then you put it into your own words. So you paraphrase it. You write it down as you might write it out. So it really kind of gets into your mind and you really have to understand it if you're going to paraphrase it, right? And then you say, how does this verse apply to you? That's the application, and pray it back to God. You pray the paraphrase back to God, the application back to God, and we encourage you to get some type of journal to always write down your observation. So there's a soap, Scripture observation, application, and prayer. Now, I have some verses that I put in your message notes that you can use this week. I really encourage you to take this challenge, the paraphrase it method, experiment with it, and take a different passage from James. And I've given you in the back of your message insert how you would do that. You know, different questions. and So I really encourage you to, to try this out. In applying this principle of meditating on God's Word. Well, let's go on and talk about what happens when you do do this on a regular basis. When you meditate on Scripture day and night. This is what you are going to be is like be like. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither and all that he does prospers. So who is he talking about? He's talking about the person who meditates on God's word day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water. Let's take a look at our picture here. Here we see a stream of water. Of course, Israel is a very dry place, not not a lot of precipitation. So, if you're going to see trees, usually they're going to be by a body of water. Because for a tree to grow, it needs a constant source of water. And that's how a tree grows. And when that happens, as it says in this passage, the tree becomes fruitful. Well, we all enjoy fruit, right? Some fruit that comes from trees, like apples, well, when you meet a person who's spiritually fruitful, a person who's connected to the source of water, who's growing fruit, fruitful people are wonderful to be around. They're administering grace to people. They're using the gifts that God has given them. And they're, they're very encouraging. They become fruitful. And it says, And his leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Remember the takeaway? Meditation on Scripture brings spiritual prosperity. That doesn't mean that life is going to be perfect. We're going to go through difficult times in our life. Emotional pain, spiritual pain, physical pain. We're going to walk through dry times, wilderness times in our spiritual life. But at the same time, if we are connected to the source going to make all the difference in the world. In the New Testament, one of the analogies we see is Jesus Christ is divine. And we are the branches. We are to abide in Christ. We are to let Jesus Christ empower us. Jesus Christ is to live through us. The more closely we walk with Christ and depend upon Him, the more satisfied we'll be. The more fruitful we'll be. The more we'll be able to withstand a drop. Well, let's look at our next passage. We see this in Jeremiah 17, 7 and 8. The same type of idea. Blessed is a man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. Now that, that's interesting just to meditate on right there, right? You trust in the Lord and then eventually what happens is whose trust is the Lord. Your whole life is dependent on Him. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream. It is not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green. And it is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. We can relate to this passage, right? The year of the drought, Midwest farmers say, worst drought in 25 years. This is Steve down in Nashville, Illinois. And that is what his crop looks like. That is really sad, isn't it? A lot of farmers going through very difficult times, and we know that all our prices, <laughs> have many different items related to corn, which are most things, are going uh, to rise. But let's go back uh, to Jeremiah and read this again. Blessed is the man of trusts in the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when the heat comes. A lot of farmers were sweating. When the heat came and no water came, for its leaves remained green and it is not anxious in the year of drought. You see, if you are going to cultivate and develop a very strong relationship with God, you've got to spend time in God's Word, meditating upon it, letting the Spirit speak to you. Because that sends your root system deep down into the soil And closer and closer to the source, one might say. So ask yourself this question. How deep is your spiritual root system? And that can be answered by how much time have you spent in this book? Applying it to your life. Living out the principles that we see here. Walking with Jesus Christ. And I implore you, friends... Life is challenging. Life is painful. Life has droughts. Maybe you're in the middle of a drought right now. And the way you cope with that drought in your life, the way you're able to walk day by day is deeply impacted by your root system. And how often you've connected with God this book and if you've been sloppy if you've been careless you tend to freak out when you go through a drought when life goes south because you don't have the confidence that other people have in God who fed on this word daily and have seen him work in their life so when you're meditating daily on God's word When the drought comes in your life, whatever it might look like, you're going to be able to cope more effectively with it because your relationship with God is stronger. So when everything is good, we tend to ignore God. We tend to ignore His Word. And that's a time that we really need to continue to be developing that root system that will carry us through all the seasons of our life. Wonderful spiritual truth that we are studying about here. Well, let's move on to the last part, Psalm 1, 4 through 6. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is really a fascinating psalm. And again, in your daily offices, I encourage you to go back over this psalm. And study it and think about it because really you have three different pictures the first picture you see is of a, a, a group of people wicked people that are trying to influence a godly person the second picture you see is of this tree drinking from the stream that flows by it and all this fruit is growing and the leaves are green the third picture is the most depressing this picture because The wicked, those who don't know Jesus Christ, are not so, but they're like chaff at the the wind dries What does that mean? Well, let's talk about wheat. Here we have a farmer who is separating the chaff from the kernel. Now, wheat, as it grows, you have a kernel. Then you have the chaff that protects it. But as it matures, the chaff easily falls off. And what you want is the kernel. You don't want the chaff. The chaff is useless. So what they... In the old days, is they oh let's go back. What they did is they threw up the wheat harvest into the air. And what would happen is the kernels, because they were heavier, would fall to the threshing floor. That's what they were interested in. But the flat because the chaff, because it was so light, it would just kind of blow away with the wind. And that's what the purpose was. You didn't want the chaff. Now here's an illustration. Of wheat and chaff, or you see the kernel in the right hand. That, that's what they were looking for. Uh, but the chaff is in uh, the left hand. And, of course, chaff. Nobody wants chaff. It's worthless. Now let's look at our passage again. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff that the wind drives away. So if a person doesn't accept Jesus Christ as their Savior, they're like chaff. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment. Someday, Jesus Christ will judge all men. And if you have the grace of Jesus Christ, His righteousness upon you, you don't have to worry about that judgment. But for others, it's going to be a very, very dark day. Nor sinners in the congregation, the righteous. They don't stand. They're not going to pass a test of the righteousness that Christ has given us. For the Lord knows the way. Of the righteous and that's more than just knowledge it's a, it's an affectionate type of knowledge God loves us he knows our name we're his child but the way of the wicked will perish the way of the wicked will perish John the Baptist speaks of Jesus Christ as a judge in Matthew chapter 3 verse 12 his winnowing fork so here we see the same idea of wheat being thrown up in the air and the kernels falling to the ground. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. And that type of verse motivates me to want to reach people in my circle of influence for Jesus Christ. I told you last week that I was going to talk to my neighbor about getting together. A guy that I met this past summer so i gave him a call and he hasn't called me back yet so i'll just wait a couple weeks and call him again who knows how long it might take to cultivate a relationship with him or how i'll go about doing that if he's interested but if you pray about it god will give you opportunities i talked uh with my other neighbor that i've known for a long time and his mother it's really struggling, and she fell, and the ambulance was over there. And so I talked to him, and she had to go to the hospital, and I was going to rehab again. I said, listen, anything I can do for you, I'll be there for you. Then I talked uh, to another neighbor who just recently moved in. Met her for the first time. She was sitting on the porch. So now's the time to go up and get to know her and uh, found out about her. Friends, let's just pray that we, we continue to cultivate gospel relationships. God, what's gospel relationship? Well, it's a relationship that you're cultivating. You're, you're just, you know, getting to know them, spending time with them. But your ultimate desire is to share the good news of Jesus Christ with them. How many gospel relationships do you have in your life? And again, summer's prime time, as we've talked about. Have a cookout for your neighbors, invite a neighbor over for lunch or somebody out to coffee or your coworkers, whoever God leads you, just be praying, God, I pray that you would lead us in this direction. Because as we move into the fall, we're going to even be more focusing upon this. Some fall events coming up here. We have our 16th anniversary on September 16th. That's nice, 16 and 16. Then we have our Lake Baptism. That's going to be a real celebration that afternoon. And then September 23rd, we're going to start a new series called Love at Last Sight. You see a logo slide here of love at... At last sight, if we could go to the next slide. Oh, maybe we can't read it because of the background. But this is a great series. It's all about friendships and how to cultivate friendships through principles found in God's Word. And we're going to be talking about how to deepen friendships and some of the problems that we have with that, whether it be with your spouse or your kids or other friends. And the whole idea is for you to bring gospel relationships out, people that you're cultivating a relationship with. So be thinking and praying right now about who you might invite out to this series. of probably goes six weeks starting on September 23rd. Well, as we close here, uh, remember today's takeaway. Meditation on Scripture brings spiritual prosperity. If you meditate on Scripture, God will do wonderful things in your life. What are some next steps? Take out your communication slip that's attached to your program. And you can look under the name portion. And there's numbers there. And I encourage you, if if you feel so led to circle one of these numbers, I will soap the verses listed daily with the paraphrase method this week. So you want to do that every day? I'm going to do that. Uh, Number Two, I will practice two daily offices a day this week. So maybe you've just been doing one time with God. I'll spend an extra five minutes at lunch or dinner. I'll take a step this week to cultivate a gospel relationship. I'll manage, a, make a commitment to be on time for worship gatherings. We've been working on that, and so thank you uh, for your efforts. Uh, number five, I'll meditate and or seek to memorize Psalm 119, 105. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, thank You for this time You've given us to speak of Your wonderful Word. Thank You for this beautiful psalm that teaches us the value of Your Word. And I pray that we would be motivated through Your Spirit to take the next step this week in making Your Word the most important thing that we read. In Christ's name, Amen.